Welcome to Rock and Ice's My Epic Podcast, presented by Outdoor Research. I'm Daniel Tachik. As you already know, Outdoor Research has been at the forefront of mountain equipment innovation since 1981. Their products have shown them to be committed to improving the climber and alpinist's experience with awesome gear, from jackets to gaiters to bivy sacks. It's not about summits for OR. It's not about finish lines or sends. It's the journey. So if you've got a journey in the near future, check them out. You will not regret it. In our last installment of the My Epic Podcast series, we end with the most important lesson. Do not ignore the warnings. Thank you, Outdoor Research, for your continued support of this podcast and the sport as a whole. Their dedication to innovation and high-quality products is unmatched. All right, here we go. We flew over the Tetons at sunset. Psyched. Ron Funderburk and I had been planning our attempt of the Cathedral Traverse over Tiwanot Mountain, Mount Owen, and the Grand Teton for months. One of the range's incredible multi-summit endeavors, the Traverse is best done as a rock climb in mid-August when the snowpack is usually smallest and most stable. Our schedules, though, meant we had to try in early June with ample snow still covering the Teton range. We anticipated that most of the rock climbing would be mixed rock, snow, and ice, but hoped to finish in one long day. The day after our arrival, we shopped, packed up, and checked in with local guides who confirmed that the mountains had finished their major shedding of snow and rock for the season. We woke up the next morning at 1.30 a.m. and clumsily strapped on packs in the deserted Lupine Meadows parking lot, the dusty gravel still dark under a new moon. We switched back through meadows and forest to snow that still lay below the tree line. Beginning the 6,000-foot ascent to the summit of Tiwanot, I led the march out of the stunted pine trees. The snow was pleasantly soft, holding steps well, and the trail breaking was fairly easy. We took turns kicking steps, making steady progress, though our lack of acclimatization showed. The snow, though, was growing increasingly soft. My steps were sinking to my ankles or knees, leaving Ron with small potholes to walk in. I paid little attention to this sign of potential instability, just relying on the descriptions we'd gotten of a quote-unquote stable summer snowpack. Dawn fast approached as we continued up the central cleft of a steep, hard-packed gully. Beyond the cleft, we encountered still softer snow and switched to fifth-class rock climbing to the summit. From the top of Tiwanot, we warily scouted the rest of our route. Check out the collar on Owen, I said, slightly concerned, pointing to the large, open snowfield just below the peak summit. Yeah, pinwheels, replied Ron. Even from our distant perch, we could see the clumps and sheets of snow that had rollerballed down the slope. Definitely not a good sign, especially considering how sloppy this has been, I lamented. A combination of sweat, sunblock, and disappointment stung my eyes so I wiped my eyelids with the back of my glove. We'd stopped only a few minutes before and were quite warm in the sun. It's gotta be above freezing by now. So Ron replied, well, that and I really don't want a bivy. 
there was a pause. Neither of us wanted to say the final words. The snow would be dangerously soft on Owen, and we were behind schedule. Finally, I said, head back to the car? Ron simply nodded. We snapped a few photos and began the descent, the mash of ice, water, gravel, and sediment crunch squishing underfoot. In the central cleft, what had been hard-packed snow was now slush, resting loosely atop rock and crusty verglass. We cleared the first chute and rested a moment on the rock ledge. Ron quickly crossed the next chute, about five feet wide, to shelter below a small rock buttress. Just as I approached the chute's edge, a few snowballs cascaded from above, picking up speed as they careened and bounced down. Soon, rocks and ice chunks clattered by. A slow rumble arose, perceptible only in my feet at first. I felt it in my chest as it grew into a noisy fur like rushing whitewater. A slurry of slow-moving snow crept over the skyline more than a thousand feet overhead. Then it just began barreling down the chute. Avalanche! I shouted. I watched in horror as the truckload of snow swept through the channel between us, the icy amalgamation dragging across the bed surface. The mixture of pristine white snow, dirty brown snow, small dark boulders, and gray ice chunks flowed like liquid concrete. What had begun as a low moan near the horizon grew to a roar and ended in a mixture of gushing and grinding sounds. The morass passed within inches of Ron's stance. You okay? I shouted across the chute. Yeah, you? Yeah, sure, I said flatly and moved over the chute as quickly as possible to Ron's stance. I'll be happy when we're back at the car, Ron said. Yeah, well, first we've got to get there, so... What's the plan? Unfortunately, the terrain separating us from the relative safety of treeline involved descending more than 2,000 feet across numerous avalanche paths. Our next words were interrupted by the sound of rockfalls skipping down another chute a dozen yards in front of us, precisely where we needed to go next. First, it was just a couple pebbles, then some bowling ball-sized rocks. Finally, a massive slide of wet snow and torso-sized boulders rocketed down. Either of these two slides would have taken us all the way down to the foot of the mountain. They both happened in places where we easily could have been, or were about to be. The smell of ozone from the rock collisions tinged the air. I looked at Ron and muttered, Stable summer snowpack my ass. We shared a tense laugh, and I flaked out the rope. On belay, Ron said. I began the arduous descent across the recently excavated chute and the next open snowfield, another potential slide path. Kicking slushy steps and plunging my axe sideways, I witnessed yet another slide a few hundred yards ahead. This one was smaller, more like a wet slough, but still big enough to knock either of us off our feet. A few steps later, I established a marginal anchor on a rock island. I turned to shout, On belay! but the words barely croaked out of my dry mouth. Ron followed and swung the lead onto the next traverse. As he left the security of the rock island, yet another small slide released near the summit, well behind us now. The groan of avalanches was becoming as constant and familiar as distant highway traffic, merely existing at the edge of consciousness. After four grueling hours of downleading and rappelling, we collapsed onto a heap of snow just inside the tree line. 
The slog down through the trees provided ample opportunity to ruminate on my own stupidity. The warning signs were all there. A moist snowpack, plenty of sunlight, spring warmth, sinking footsteps, pinwheels. I just stuck to the belief that the snowpack was stable because I wanted so badly for it to be true. In the early afternoon, Ron and I trudged from the trees to a warm, sunny parking lot that contrasted with our murky emotional states. We were physically fine, but mentally just fried, our shock visible. The day hikers in the parking lot stared at us. We shucked our packs, Ron fired up the van, and we headed to town with some new beta. Thanks for tuning in. We truly appreciate all the support you guys have given us for this podcast. I'd like to thank Noisy Waters for the music. Thanks for listening, and again, thank you to Outdoor Research for helping us bring these stories to life. 